0: We're getting real today, so tune in. Hey everybody, I'm Kelly Wilkness here with Anita Joyce and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks getting real, treasure hunting truths. We are going to give you all the information you need to be a sleuth when you're out thrifting and at estate sales and flea markets and in antique shops. Anita and I are sharing a lot of our secrets of what we look for and how you can scan white elephant tables and racks and shelves and zero in on the diamond in the rough.
1: Yes. And after you've listened to the episode, I think the best thing to do is to go to some place where they have a lot of antique or vintage things and play what I like to call "Where was this made?"
0: <laughs> or wow, I didn't what, play this game with you. You don't when play we were this roundtop. Mm. It was more. Uh, what was I playing? Where is the bathroom? <laughs> uh, well, there was that. Where is the, the money cold machine? drink stand?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's round top for you. I'm talking really about dishes. I play a game. I look at the front and I try to guess where it was made before I turn it over. When I first started playing this game, I was really bad at it, <laughs> but now I'm pretty good at it. That's because I'm looking at the dishes all the time. And so now I'm beginning to recognize, and it may not even be, it's not a list of things I have that I'm looking for, but my brain just kind of remembers these thing's the information I have so that when I look at the plates, I'll realize, oh, that's Bavarian or, oh, that was made in Japan. And then when I turn it over, uh, I can tell if I'm right or not. Really, you know, and if it's furniture or something else we're talking about, you may not be guessing where it was made, but guessing the style or something of the furniture or whatever you're looking for. The point is, whatever it is you're looking for what you really need to do is to go out in the wild and practice what you've learned. And you're going to try to test yourself. Can I tell what this is? Maybe you're going to take a guidebook with you and compare the styles in your guidebook to what you're seeing there. Just some way so that you can educate yourself. And the more educated you are, the better deals you're going to get and the better collections you're going to have.
0: So true. Knowledge is power in every realm, and certainly when you are antiquing and thrifting. And if you happen to be out in the wild, like Anita says, and you hear from the next aisle over, a woman going, yeah, that's Anita. And she just got it right when she turned that plate over. So run around the aisle and introduce
1: yourself. Well, this is so important because some of the plates aren't labeled, and they might have a maker's label on them, or mark on them, but there's variations in what they're worth based on the age of it and the pattern. So yeah, it's really important that you study whatever it is that you want to collect so that you can really make some informed decisions. Excellent. So many
0: excellent tips just right there in that intro that you did. Can we start off with uh, my favorite, iron stones? Yes, please do, Dawn. Okay. So Ironstone. I mean, I absolutely love it. I didn't always collect it. It's probably, probably in the last 10 years or so. I love it for its simplicity and its beauty. It's a very approachable and in a sense, very utilitarian. The lines are usually pretty simple. And because it's usually a bright white, a cream, or even dipping into a beige, it kind of goes with everything. Now, of course, you can have ironstone that has pattern on it, and we'll talk about that too. But okay, firstly, you know you should know what it is, so then that helps you distinguish whether or not you found one out in the wild. Ironstone is not a porcelain. So it's an earthenware. Uh, It's a very porous earthenware, and it's covered with a glaze. And it was first patented by Charles Mason in 1813 from Staffordshire, UK, which you'll see a lot of dishes and plates come from that area. Um, And thereafter, there are about 200 or more makers of ironstone. Um, Sometimes there were hallmarks by the manufacturers on the bottom, but you really can't always rely on them because again, this wasn't really a high-end item. So they maybe were not too particular about the markings that they had on there. And then there are of course the repros. So sometimes you can't really rely on the mark. So you want to know What would this item feel like in your hand and what would it look like to your eye so you can discern whether or not it's the real deal? And of course, we say this with everything, whether it's the real deal or not, if you love it and it's got great lines or it's got the crazing that you love... Just buy it. It's not going to be that expensive. <laughs> uh, Ironstone, unless it's a perfect piece and it's a giant tureen and you're in a very fancy antique shop where they think they can get the price, it's usually pretty reasonable. Like When I get Ironstone, I- I'm not spending that much money on it. And again, I don't mind a chip or a crack. I kind of like it. That really is, you know, what you're willing to, uh, you know, the imperfections that you're willing to accept can definitely affect the price. So here are some things you can do if you're trying to determine out there whether or not this piece that you think is ironstone is, well, pick it up. Ironstone is going to feel heavier in your hand than it would appear to your eye. It's going to feel pretty substantial. And this is because the materials that are in it, so it's clay, And then there's actually some iron slag. Which must be why it's called ironstone. Right. So I'm not sure what the slag part is, but it's probably like the remains of iron. And then a small amount of cobalt will be in it. So all of that lends to uh, creating a heavier item. The cobalt will actually give the older pieces, because there was more cobalt used in the olden days, a bit of a tint of blue. So if you've seen that in yeah, some of the older pieces, that is right. So if you find one that has it to your eye, a tint of blue, then you know, it's pretty old. It's probably from around the 1820s, 30s, 40s, something like that. So look. sometimes it is actually marked ironstone, but a lot of times it isn't. Yes, a lot of times it isn't. Another thing that you can do is take a look at the glaze. Even though this was pretty simple and utilitarian, there's something to the glaze on ironstone that is very lustrous. Um, So have a look at it. While I was preparing for today, I was looking at a a chamber pot that I have and I have uh, an Ivy in it and it looks very pretty. So it's not being used for what it was originally intended. I trust, you know, kind of block that part out. Well, I just noticed the luster to it. I hadn't really focused on that, and it was like in in my kitchen where it's very light and bright, and I could really see. Yes, that's definitely distinctly a luster. And then another thing that you can do is sort of give it a flick between your thumb and your index finger. This is particularly helpful if it's an item that has a handle, like normally a chamber pot would, or uh, some sort of mug or something like that. It'll make like this very distinctive sound. If it's ironstone, the caveat there is if it doesn't have any cracks. Because the cracks will then sort of dissipate that Mm -hmm. sound, but it is a way to tell. So if you try all those three things and you're kind of getting a check mark on all of those, you can pretty much rely on the fact that that is ironstone. It's not going to necessarily tell you what year it's from unless you're detecting that blue tint, but it will give you a very good idea whether or not it's ironstone. Well, it's also called vitreous pottery
1: and the vitreous means glass-like. Mm-hmm. And some very, very old French ironstone that I have that is from the 1800s. It almost looks like glass. So it is, it does definitely have a little bit of a different look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've never seen one that is that old. So next time I come to your house, you're going to have to. Spend Definitely mm-hmm. take that out but and show But these me.
1: tend to be heavy. I was told as I was, uh, when I was younger, oh, you know, bo- ch- bone china is the best you can do. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fine china. It's very thin and it's it's not opaque. It's translucent. You can actually see your hand through a piece of bone china held up to the light. And the thicker it is, then the cheaper it is, then the less it's worth. That's the way I was told and, and in general, about as far as fineness of pieces, that's true. But these older pieces of ironstone are actually worth quite a bit of – some of them can be worth quite a bit of money because they are old and they're very, very sought after. Uh, so, and it was – these were the pieces – that working people use. These were not the fine pieces that you would see at Versailles, the elegant,
0: delicate china that they used. Right. Right. So there's actually, I wouldn't say a whole lot of the real deal, the real, real old deal floating around, but because it is pretty durable, there's more than you would imagine that has lasted quite a number of years, hundreds of years. The other thing about Ironstone is as you get Further down the line in history, it started to be used in hotels. The Ritz in Paris, they would probably have Limoges plates or something like that. Yeah. But in sort of middle of the road hotels, cafes. yes, and cafes and things mm-hmm. like that. That's very much sort of what I am drawn to. Stuff that you feel like, oh, you know, a lot of hands touched that, you know, in a good way. Anita, like in a purel sort of lots of, but then you clean it, of course, and all of that. But it has a history to it. Right, right. It can be washed, but do not put
1: these old dishes in the dishwasher. I just highly, these glazes were not meant to be brought to that
0: kind of temperature. Oh, for sure. Don't do that. And while you're touching on that, uh, if you find a piece of ironstone and it's in the whites or the creams and beiges and it has a stain on it or something and you think, oh, I'll just try to get that out with Clorox bleach. No, 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 no. Don't do that at all. Don't let it soak in that. Don't even put it on it because if there's any kind of crack and that bleach gets under there. Mm -hmm. I have wondered about that. I have never done that. But yeah, what happens? Well, bleach crystallizes when it dries and the crystals then will expand and it will actually pop the glaze off. Oh, that would be awful. Right. So you're real and you're not, and I don't think you're going to be successful in getting it out anyway.
1: Have you seen those old dishes that have the metal staples in them? Oh, yeah. In the back, right? Oh, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. The, some of those are actually quite expensive. and But I wonder how they get those in there. They must heat the plates up quite a bit to get that metal in there without cracking the plate. Right, right. Well, you want to explain to everyone why they do that? Why that was there? Well, because they couldn't afford to buy new plates and it was cracked <laughs> and that just kept it in place. right. So this was a repair job. And at the time that wasn't really something, you know, you didn't want to show off. Oh, I'm using repaired plates. But now those are highly, highly Oh yeah. Now now
0: if you you know, if you were definitely a collector of those sorts of things, you'd probably hang them backwards. Yeah, nobody was running to get the crazy glue. There was no crazy glue. So that's what they were doing.
1: Well, I wanted to mention about what you were talking about that you collect thing dishes that even have cracks or chips because i've heard somebody on a tv show i'm not going to say who mm. say that if he sees a piece of a dish that has a chip on it he will not touch it and if he has any he throws them away now if we're Who's talking he?
0: <laughs> i'm not going to say who he is oh,
1: God. Okay. Um, I don't watch that much TV. I'm to think well, this is. was right. Well, I don't either. This is from like 10 years ago when I actually okay. did watch TV when okay. I had
0: time, you know. Well, I'm not talking about whether you watch TV or not. I'm just like, I can't think of who it could possibly be, but okay.
1: <laughs> well, any, yeah, actually, I'm not, I can't even remember who it was exactly. So that's part of why I'm
0: not telling oh, you who it was. okay. Misresolved.
1: I'm covering for my,
0: okay, okay, okay.
1: But the thinking is so he must just collect fairly new dishes, I'm guessing. So if we're talking about something like, let's say you're collecting desert rose dishes from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, there is a plethora of those dishes out there. And there's no need to collect a chipped one. There's The the supply is there. If it's something fairly new in the last 50 years, I certainly would not collect something that has a chip but when you start going back and you're collecting something from 1825, I have several pictures from around that time. And yes, they've got repairs on them. But something that old, it's hard to get it in pristine condition. And when you find it in pristine condition, it's going to be super expensive. Right. And French dishes, which I collect, if I only collected the pristine, again, there's it's very difficult to find French dishes here. And when I Find them, it's usually they're actually online in France and I have to order them here and then I'm paying for $30, $40 for shipping. So yes, if I were to go to a store and see an 1850 dish from France that's something I collect and it's got a chip on it or something,
0: oh yeah, I'll still buy it. Okay, so finishing up with the ironstone. Now, people may not think of ironstone as also transferware, but transferware patterns do appear on ironstone. So, right. whereas if you conjure up someone says ironstone to you and you're a person who likes to collect vintage and things like that, even if ironstone isn't your gig, you probably think white, creamy, light beige, that sort of thing. But no, there was also transfer patterns on there. And even the flow blue is also ironstone. Now, flow flow blue is expensive too. (laughs) It can be very expensive. The flow blue, it really isn't a pattern per se. It's just a term that's come to describe those dishes that have sort of that very blurry look to them. Um, and normally they're in blue, but I've seen them in black. I've actually seen oh, them in purples as well. Mm-hmm. The flow part is the blurry, the, the spreading of the pattern. And that comes in the firing of it. It's a way that they fired the dishes that creates that. It's not like someone's painting it blurry. So that's just a little FYI there. Well, right. And the, the, the whole thing with the
1: transferware was so fascinating because previous to that, that a lot of those designs had to be hand painted on each individual dish. And with transferware, they came up with designs that they would print on paper and then apply the paper to the dishes, then soak the dishes in water and remove the paper and the pattern would stay. But you would still need some artisans to position that paper, but uh, that's how they got the design on there. Right. And I have some very old transferware where the pattern, you could tell the paper wasn't exactly
0: quite oh, right. They're probably worth more. So hence mm-hmm. the name transferware. It's transferring right. it from the paper to right. the plate.
1: And we still call it transferware, even though the newer plates, I don't know. I doubt they're made
0: that way anymore. Don't you just love a great recommendation from a friend? Well, we're delighted to be recommending these companies and their wonderful products to you today. And let them know your friends at DTT sent you. You may have noticed on my Instagram that I am making some improvements to my master bedroom. Some paint changes, some closet improvements, but one of the best things that I have done for my master bedroom and the other bedrooms in my house is using Cozy Earth Luxury Bedding Products. Cozy Earth Bedding Collection offers a variety of luxury pillow, sheets, blankets, loungewear, and more. Currently, I have sheets, the mattress pad, the duvet, the duvet cover, PJs, and a sleep shirt that I am absolutely loving. Cozy Earth's signature best-selling bamboo sheet set is something of your dreams. It is so cooling and it's so soft. You're just going to absolutely love getting in between Cozy Earth sheets every night. So make an instant upgrade to your bedroom and try Cozy Earth. And you can do so and save a lot of money because Cozy Earth is offering decorating tips and tricks listeners 35% 35% off site-wide. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code BEWELL at checkout. That's B-E-W-E-L-L at checkout for 35% off site-wide. Now a word from our sponsor, Matterlog. We have many professional or budding designers and decorators listening to DTT. So we bring you Matterlog. That's short for material log. Matterlog allows you to do more for your clients in less time. They've created a simple and easy solution to automatically track your orders and are saving designers up to 40% of their time. You simply forward your order details and all of your data is pulled into an easy to use dashboard that is kept up to date. What a time saver. With all my clients and all the different materials and products we're ordering, trying to keep track of what's coming in and when, Matterlog has been a lifesaver. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. So when you want to free up your time or on your team's time and still know where all of your orders are, Matterlog can get you there. Visit matterlog.com slash DTT today to get your first month free. That's Matterlog, M-A-T-E-R-L-O. OG.com slash DTT. I want to remind you that we are available for design consults. We take on your design dilemmas, questions, renovations, any project you want to talk about, any room, any space. We are here for you. And we really do enjoy doing these. And I think we've helped people a lot. So if you want to sign up for a consult, head to the link in the show notes. It's Decorating tips slash consult. We hope to talk to you soon. Okay, so let's move on to another category. Anita's going to jump in here with a, uh, silver, I believe, and let us know how you can tell whether or not you found the real deal.
1: Well, I love collecting silver, and uh, some of my favorite silver pieces are French. Uh, there's Christophe, a Christophe, and a Puy The Christophe is. Uh, People in America sometimes call it Christoffel because it's because of the way it's spelled, and, and that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> and the purple cat is a P U I F O R C A T. These are two of the most famous French brands, but I do love the French silver; is so beautiful. So that's one of the things that I love to collect. But even the the English silver is so beautiful, also, and American. Uh, what you want to look for are the markings. So you're going to look for if it's silver plated, it usually does say silver plate or electroplate, something like that. It's going to say, but if it's sterling, which is 92.5% silver, you are going to usually see the word sterling on there. Unless it's really old, and then there are a lot of marks to go by. In fact, there's so many marks that I can't even discuss them because there's so many. There's marks for the year it was made, for the maker, and it's it's quite involved. I'm going to link to some books that you can use for sterling. Uh, one is Covel's American Silver Marks, and then there's Jackson's Guide to Hallmarks for English Silver, And these are the marks that you're going to look for if you're collecting sterling. People study this for lifetimes. And these books, some of them are rather thick. So that's why I'm not going over those marks today. But there are, sometimes they'll be a head of a lion or there'll be a lion saying that it's sterling. So, you know, you're going to have to educate yourself on the marks if you're looking at at, it. Yeah. If you
0: really want to go deep, deep, deep. Right, Um, right, right. Maybe tuck along with your measuring tape, maybe a tiny little magnifier. Or what I like to do is if I can't sort of discern it too well, if the lighting's bad or something, or it's this, the writing is so tiny on the back of the fork or such, I'll take a picture of it. And then I can blow it up with my fingers on my phone. Oh, I've definitely done that too. So you can see the word Sterling, but sometimes it just says 925 too. Right. That's true. That's another. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's
1: not... One mark for everything. There's so many different marks. It gets even more confusing when you're looking at French silver because they go by a Minerva mark. It's a woman's head. She was the goddess, I think, a, a Etruscan goddess of commerce, if I remember correctly. Wow. Yes. And that is the measure for their version of sterling, but their sterling is actually 95% silver. So it's uh, a little different percentage. So they have a higher amount of silver in their version of of sterling. Now, uh, things changed over time. With the French Revolution, there were some wars before that, and there was a lot of silver being melted down, and the government was trying to take into account the fact that they had basically taken everyone's silver. I'm trying to think how to say this nicely, but people didn't have as much silver to work with because the government had taken it to use it to pay for all these wars they were having, and that's when they went down to an 80% silver standard. So, that's also a standard out there.
0: Hmm. And I think something you taught me, which I didn't really realize, I think when we were round type, actually, is that the French or European, the French. actual fork, knife, and spoon are much bigger. Right. Well, for the French,
1: I can't speak to the other countries. I don't okay. really know, but for French, the dinner sizes are large. They're 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 very large set, and the dessert sets are really probably close to what you're used to seeing as far as the size of an American set of silverware.
0: And so then the- if you're out there and you see a very mm-hmm. oversized place setting, chances are it's French. Well, that's a sign that it could be French, but
1: the I would say an even bigger tip off if it's French is where is the hallmark? Is it on the top of the fork or is it on the back side?
0: Mm. If
1: it's on the back side, it's probably American or English. If it's on the top side, it's French because the French turn their silverware upside down so to speak. Another way you can tell is is the design more ornate on the front or the back. And again, the French put their silverware what what we Americans would say upside down on the table. So that's where the ornate detail is on the silverware. And so that's really what I'm looking for when I'm looking for French silverware is where is the ornate part of the handle is on the top or the bottom and where are the hallmarks and then for the if it's sterling you're going to look for that he- head of minerva in the lozenge shape and then there's going to be a triangle that's going to have the maker's name in there and then yeah, the two- when you're saying
0: a lozenge shape you mean like a lozenger like an oval
1: no it's more like i'm trying to think it's kind of like a square but the ant- corners are kind of rounded squ-
0: uh, n- yeah maybe they're kind of more rounded I see. I, okay I, mm-hmm. okay well, that is so interesting. Wow. That was jam-packed with lots of info. Okay. Let's jump over to Crystal. So, okay. So you'll go to a thrift store. Any thrift store it could be real down market, like one that I couldn't even get Nita Jean to get out of the car to go into, that kind. <laughs> and she'll be in the car with the air on, you know, looking up French silver marks. And I'm in there sweating it out, standing in front of the shelf of glass, presumably glass. But you don't know that some of that glass might be crystal Mm -hmm. and might be just fabulous. It might be just that, even if it's just one glass that, you know, you decide that's your glass and when you have your what have you, you're going to use that glass because it makes you feel super special. That's what I do with these little one-offs that I find. I make them my special little wine glass or uh, that's what I have my iced tea in. So you might be lucky enough to find a whole set. There you are. You're standing there. You're looking and there's the cast-off 1-800 floral Vase, you know, okay, pass that. You don't need that. And then there might be something you could turn into a cloche. Okay, that's great. Maybe you put that in your basket, but now you're looking at all these glasses. How are you going to know? So if it's pretty and it strikes you and you like the shape of it, pick it up, hold it to the light. If you can detect any kind of rainbow prism coming off it, it's a sign that it might be crystal. Tap it. If you get this musical ring with a bit of an echo, then it might be crystal. The greater the lead content, the longer the tone will continue. If it's more than 35% lead in that crystal, it's going to actually sparkle, probably even if it's been dusty and sitting on the shelf for a long time. Again, like ironstone, crystal will be heavier. So if you have a similar sized glass that is actually just made of regular glass and the crystal, the crystal one will be heavier. If you were able to wet your finger somehow, you could swipe around the rim and see if you can get a sound to come out of it. Another sign that it's crystal. Crystal will also be more reflective than regular glass. And the the rim, again, talking about the rim, will be thinner than a regular glass.
1: And I also wanted to throw in, if you're collecting glass or or crystal, run your hand, run your finger around the rim of the base and of the top of the glass, because it is very difficult to see any kind of chips. But if you run your finger across, you will find any problems there. Good point. And you're going to want to know that before you make your purchase. That's a really good point. Because we didn't really talk about the lead. These old dishes, sometimes they do have lead paint on them. Get, Get a lead test kit. For dishes, most of my dishes when I checked them were fine, but I did find one set of English hand-painted dishes that did have lead in them. So just buy that test kit and you can swipe in and find out easily if there's lead in your dishes that you're collecting. Most of my older dishes I don't actually use to eat off of. Most of those are for display. And for the lead crystal, obviously, it has lead in it. So I think... From what I understand it's safe to drink out of these glasses if you're, you know, having a regular meal and maybe you're drinking out of it for an hour, let's say. But if you're storing your port, you don't want to store your port in this glass for uh, in a decanter for a month because it will absorb the lead. That's that's what I've heard from the experts.
0: Yes, exactly. When lead crystal uh, beverage containers are used in an ordinary way, they don't pose any health risk. So you can safely use your crystal stemware and barware to serve wine, water, and other beverages because the the liquid is not staying in there long enough and would not exceed any uh, of the EPA standards. So you're fine with that. But I I think that's an excellent point. I mean, if you're decanting a really great bottle of wine and you're pouring it into a water for decanter, I hope you drink the whole thing. Uh, because don't <laughs> just and go you, ahead if you can't. That don't keep it in there and, and drink it a month later. All right. exactly. Or invite me over. <laughs> Let's do furniture. How can you tell whether or not what you're seeing is a really great piece of furniture that you should stuff in the back of your car and take home with you? Well, you got to look mostly at the joinery. Machine cut furniture was not made until 1860. So. The best type of or best piece of furniture, I should say, to look at is one with drawers because there's going to be more joinery involved in drawers. Everyone may have heard of the term like dovetail. And the dovetail is where the little pieces of wood kind of slat into the side of the drawer, the back of the drawer, things like that, or in other parts of the piece of furniture, but drawers, it's most evident. The dovetail that you want to look for are those that are not exactly even. There's not a whole bunch of them because then you can tell it was made by hand. If they're closely spaced dovetails and they're precisely the same size, then they were made by a machine. You're also going to look again with the drawers at the bottom sides and backs. If they're nicks or cuts or straight saw marks, it gives you an idea that it was made by hand. If there are circular saw marks, it was probably made by a machine. And any piece of furniture with exact symmetry, it was probably made by a machine. Uh, one other uh, way that you can tell is the finish. Uh, until Victorian times, there was really only shellac. And then thereafter, there was lacquer and varnish. uh, And that was sort of in the mid-1800s. But, you know, it's a little hard to tell with that. There's not a lot of shellac experts just roaming around out there. And you kind of have to test it with ammonia or a different chemical to see what happens. So that's probably not something you could do right on site, unless you have like a little cotton ball with this on it. Um, So that's- I think there's easier ways to do it than that anyway. Well, now she's going to tell us easier ways. That's so great. So, you know, it's a little bit harder to deal with furniture. So you're going to be looking
1: for the dovetails. I think that is the easiest way to determine. Another thing, this isn't going to give you the exact age, but look at the back of the piece- Look at the inside of the drawers. Do they look pretty pristine? If the back of the piece looks pretty darn clean, the bottom of the drawers look pretty darn clean, it's not an antique. That's a dead giveaway there. I mean, if you see a lot of age on the back in the drawers, that's a good sign that it's old. You might notice wormholes. If you see screws, unless it's a repair, that is a sign that it's not that old. And some of these really older pieces have wood nails in them or wood pieces that are joining them together. And I'm going to go back to the same thing I said about the dishes. Go look at antiques. If you know for a fact that you're going to an antique store and somebody's labeled it, this is this age, Check these pieces out that are made in the 1800s and get a feel for what they look like. And then when you see antiques, you'll know when you see it, whether it's a reproduction or the real thing. It's really a matter of educating your eye on what you're looking for. And when you see the antique pieces and then see the reproduction pieces next to them, it becomes more obvious. One thing, too, is that the wood grains, I think, tended to be much Closer together than they are in the woods grown now that are grown much faster. Uh, New pine is so soft compared to old pine. If you see pine wood that's hand carved, it's probably quite old because the new pine is so soft that you really couldn't even carve into it. And then a lot of the newer French chairs, for example, are made of mango wood. And it's really a thick, clunky wood. If the wood has very delicate engraving on it that's hand engraved, that's another sign. It's probably very old because they just don't do that much anymore.
0: Great tips. Okay. I, I really feel like I learned things from you today. I always learn things from you, but, uh, you know, I'll be more prepared next time I'm out there in the wild, as you say. And I hope that everybody else got a lot of information today that is found, you found to be useful. Our crushes today, my crush is a pair of rose pruning gloves. I actually got the pair for my mom for Mother's Day to go with a rose book and a few other things that I had gotten her because she now has uh, rose bushes, which she never really had before. She was not a big rose gardener. And she was saying that she was wow she's like wow i was really getting caught up with my regular garden gloves so i got her these longer rose gloves and they're absolutely darling and they actually have flowers on them and so my mother she was like i don't even think i could use them they're so, pretty. so i hope she does use them they looked so good when they came i wrapped them up and sent them off to her and then i i ordered myself a pair so i'll put the link to in the show notes to those they were pretty fabulous
1: well, my crush is an audiobook that I listened to recently. You can actually buy the book and read the book. Uh, it's called Eliza Hamilton: The Extraordinary Life and Times of the Wife of Alexander Hamilton, and it was and the author on this particular book is Tilar J. Mazio, and it was so fascinating. They had she had so much of an interesting story beyond just be, who she married, who was Alexander Hamilton, obviously. But that was a great book, and I got it. Uh, on loan from my local
0: library. Oh, that's a great way to do it. Our listener question today is from Katia and we have been getting so many emails lately. Katia has been uh, very patient and we've got to her email because it was a a long one with lots of info in it. The long and the short of it is and that's funny because her Living room is quite long. It's quite tall. Um, <laughs> but she wants to redo her living room. She had a couch that she affectionately called the Beast, a leather couch, and it sounded like from the email that there might have been even more than one of them. Uh, oh. But they've served oh. them well for 15 years, and maybe it's time to go. Um, she did send some photos of the living room and various pieces. One thing that and I were saying is that we didn't really have one photo of the whole room, so so it's a little hard to say exactly. What what should be going on all over, but we can address certain points in the room that I think Katya may be struggling with and how to make it over. So again, it's a very, very tall room, 25 foot ceilings. You interrupt you just to
1: say, yeah, if sure. you're sending us photos of your house, please, please, please send a picture of the entire room because it's so hard to diagnose mm-hmm. and offer suggestions
0: if, you, if we just get close-ups. Yeah. That's helpful for sure. And, we, and we're nosy and we want to see everything. Oh, and that too. <laughs> and that too. So anyway, we're, it's 25 feet tall. It looks fairly, I don't want to say small because it's not small at all, but definitely, you know, not, it's definitely much taller than it is wide It's around. not a square box, yeah. Right? But that's very that, tall. That big bay window mm-hmm. is going on there. So what are your thoughts, Anita? Well,
1: to answer this question... She has a kind of rustic looking tan settee in the room and two, I don't know, would you call those citrine green velvet, really pretty chairs. They're very modern looking Mm -hmm. chairs that, and they're small. They're not, these are not large chairs. These are, could be used even as dining room chairs. So there's a settee in these two chairs, and then there's a rustic table by between the two green chairs. So just seeing that, here's my thought. I felt like the rustic table went with the rustic looking or the tan settee, but I felt like it was too rustic to go with the two kind of sleek, modern looking green chairs. You can mix things, but this mix felt a little uh, off to me. So what I would suggest is that she, so when she replaces sofa, I think I would go with something tan to go with that settee. And then I would probably take those green chairs out and maybe replace them with, and also they felt a little small to be in a living room. So I would probably put one uh, club chair in there to go and the new chair and the sofa. And I would go with some colors that go with that settee, which were kind of in the tan color range. I would go with the neutrals and then change out with pillows. And uh, I would stick with that kind of maybe uh, a little less modern look if that's the way she's going. If she wants to go modern, then I would probably remove that settee and kind of start with those chairs. What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. I definitely agree on the chairs. And um, I just kudos to you because this is a really really hard room to decorate right um, I think so. so I you know you've done a lovely job and she's even shown us some vignettes and her pillows on this really lovely settee and I love what's going on over the fireplace she's got a great great thing going on on the mantle and all of that and she says something really funny which was I just wanted to point out um, because Anita loves cloches so much as well um, she said she loves putting everything in a cloche if her husband wasn't over six feet tall she'd probably put a cloche over him <laughs> fails once in a while, like putting a closure over their husband, too. Um, <laughs> but only on certain days, though. <laughs> only on certain days, just for a little while. She's got these soaring windows and they're like, you guys, can imagine there's like a set of windows and then there's wall space and then there's like windows on top of it. It is so tall. And then we've got these long, really long curtain panels from the ceiling down to the ground. Now, kudos to you, Katia, for hanging them high and having them go really low. But in this instance, I I would suggest just taking those draperies off unless, because they don't look like you close them ever. So they're really just there maybe to add some softness. And and so, and I get that, but I think it's like, just, it's a little too much uh, for what's going on in the room. That would be my suggestion. Cause I think those windows are so striking on their own. They probably don't need the extra fabric uh, on the other side. And if you thought that you needed something, uh, to sort of fill up all that space, perhaps get a much bigger chandelier. Um, From the photo the chandelier doesn't look that big because you know it's in the room and maybe it is big on its own but in that room it's just not that big because the room is so tall so maybe consider something that fans out more that is a big circular maybe iron with you know maybe 12 or more arms something like that i think that would fill the space really nicely bring your eye up and maybe do it in a better way than the drapes
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think times have changed. I think if it's if it's not clear, I would definitely choose not to have drapes. Yeah. I mean, at one point if it was a window it needed curtains and that's not simply true anymore. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So we're all about the open space and letting that light in. So thanks so much for you for taking the time to email us and taking the time every day to listen and everybody as well. We so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for sending that in, Katia. And we had so
1: much fun hanging out with you. And remember, we're here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time.